Hey guys, and welcome to Hunting Land, presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. If you'd like to stay up to date on hunting tactics, land management, land values, and land market dynamics, this is the podcast for you. This week's show is brought to you by Alabama Farmers Co-op. Alabama Farmers Cooperative has been serving gardeners, farmers, and everyone in between for 85 years. From backyard gardening to large-scale farming and everything in between, your local co-op has what you need to be successful. Since 1936, Alabama Farmers Cooperative has provided high-quality products and friendly service to community members and local farmers. With over 60 locations to serve you and 85 years of experience, you can count on the co-op. For more information and to find a location near you, visit www.alafarm.com. And also brought to you by Alabama Ag Credit. Buying rural property isn't the same as buying in town. If you're in the market to purchase your own piece of paradise or need an operating line for your farm, give our friends at Alabama Ag Credit a call. As the local experts in rural real estate financing, they can help you with everything from homes and land to tractors and crops. Because sometimes natural resources need financial resources. And while some lenders don't get it, they do. Learn more by visiting alabamaagcredit.com. I'm your host, Joe Baya, here today with my co-host, Butch Theory. Today, Butch, we're going to be talking about how to attract mature bucks to your property. Not just attract them, though. Uh, we're going to be talking about what you need to do, not only from a habitat standpoint, but also what you don't need to do in terms of like things like pressure. I know that... Um, Pressure has been a, been a game changer on my property. Oh yeah, no doubt, man. Us too, you know, setting up food plots and setting up access to bow stands and setting up access to those shooting houses on some of the, uh, the food plots, um, just figuring out the ingress and egress and, um, you know, giving you a buffer where you can sneak up on these plots and several different ways you can sneak up on them in different, um, wind directions. It's, it's a big deal for sure. They know you're there more than you think they do. I've often been accused of overthinking things, but when it comes to setting up a property that you have total control over, I don't, I don't know that you can overthink it. I mean, I think you can underthink it for sure. And like, like we're going to learn today, there's just, there's a lot to think about, a lot to consider, and it all ties back to your property, what the unique demands are of your property. Uh, I'm really excited about today's show. I think it's going to be a good one. Yeah. And your goals, your personal goals out of what you want out of your property. You know, not everybody wants to grow trophy bucks. Um, a lot of people just want to go see deer and manage wildlife, different kinds of wildlife, turkeys and things like that. So yeah, it all depends on your personal preference and uh, the DNA of your land. To do that today, we're talking with Lee Dixon of Whitetail Partners. Lee, first off, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and Whitetail Partners as well. Yeah, so Lee Dixon, uh, I work with Whitetail Partners. I've been hunter, uh, outdoorsman. I've been uh, hunting for 29 years now. I've got a passion for for specifically whitetails, but I love turkey hunting. I love fishing. And yeah, and I've just, last probably 10 years, just grown a real strong passion for conservation and habitat management. So started off as kind of personal, you know, and now it's grown into a profession. So, um, I'm from West Tennessee and I, I cover predominantly the mid South area, the, the tri-state area, Arkansas, Mississippi, some Louisiana, but going to Kentucky, I actually have a job, uh, coming up in Illinois. So kind of, kind of diverse, kind of spread out, but that's me. That's, that's interesting. You know, you cover in that area terrain and topography or, 
and soils and some big bucks in that area timber yep. and crops it's going to be different you know if you're in west tennessee versus if you're down in the black belt where butch's place is or over in the coastal plain where my place is and you know so when i think about that a lot of times you know i kind of i kind of shy away from from midwestern advice uh because sure. you know it just this doesn't really translate all that well a lot of times down into the coastal plain of alabama where we're dealing with sandy soils and pine plantations and sure and stuff that's so thick you just can't even believe in a lot of cases so when you start thinking about mature buck habitat what are the components of that i mean do they stay the same whether you're in west tennessee or central alabama or the midwest or are there certain things that you're looking for yeah, absolutely. So Tennessee is a really diverse state too, just because I live in the Western side of the state, which very blessed to have the quality soils, like you say, but you go two hours East of me, it gets real rocky. It gets sandy. You know, our average score for a mature deer in Tennessee is, you know, I think mid one twenties. So it's a very diverse state, uh, the state of Tennessee, but so a little bit about before we get into the the habitat for mature bucks, like you know, what they're seeking, that does not change. That's universal from state to state. Um, and that is safety. That's a hundred percent safety. That's their number one goal in life is obviously to stay alive. So, and that's, that doesn't start with habitat. And I think a lot of people, the habitat's the craze. That's what you get online and you can, you can, you know, research, uh, for hours and hours and hours. But the number one thing that that deer is going to seek is safety. And, that starts with the hunter. So a little bit about like what we do when we go on farm with our customers, we start with obviously their goals, which most people do want to kill more mature bucks. They want to hold mature bucks. They want to import bucks to their property. And that obviously starts with them and the fundamentals of hunting. So we make sure that those fundamentals are right first before we even talk habitat. Mm. So safety, minimize intrusion on a property is probably one of the most important things that a person can do to start. And that's, that's a fact. I think that is very sage advice just from my own experience. You, you're talking about that. I mean, but really, and truly the amount of pressure you put on a property, it, that is part of the habitat. It may not be the, the, flo the, the flora that's there, you know, but, but if it's still his habitat and if you're running around all the time, on your UTV burning the place up, or if you're entering stands the wrong way, exiting stands the wrong way, hunting places that really, they might have great sign, but they, they just, they're really hard to get into and it's tough to access. And you're hearing deer snorting at you all the time. You're not creating a good habitat. And I, I do believe you there. I mean, that pressure. It's definitely a big deal. I've seen is, it firsthand. Yeah. I mean, Butch, y'all keep y'all's place super quiet. You're very Golf careful. Golf carts only. Everywhere in, you go. I'm yeah. lucky enough to, you know, I, I have a, just right at 200 acres here in Alabama and the property itself just sets up really well for ingress and egress. You know, Butch, you've seen it. It's, it's real easy to kind of slip around the perimeter and get into places uh, and get out of places without messing anything up. Not every property is like that. So is that, yeah. is that what I'm hearing you say, Lee? Like you're going to look at it and, and first thing we're going to look at the property and go, all right, look, you're entering wrong or you're exiting wrong or a access is a hundred percent in and out, right? And most mm -hmm. people think it's to the stand, but you've got to get out as well. And I, it's a, it's a common mistake of, of hunting, you know, food plots. A lot of people like hunting food plots. 
Um, and they usually end up sitting in their deer stand way hours after the dark, you know, trying to wait for the deer to clear. And that's just, that's not good. Um, so that's when I, I talk about the fundamentals of hunting and, you know, deer very seasonal, you know, they have seasonal patterns. They're going to be here. You know, you've got your summer ranges, you've got your winter ranges, you've got your postseason, you know, your, your late season. And so there's opportunity zones in each one of those. And it starts with access. It starts with how you approach it a hundred percent. So mature buck habitat starts with safety. You've got to provide that with minimizing your intrusion. Uh, and then you can start saying, Hey, I, I want to start building my property, the right habitat. I'm going to minimize my intrusion. That's my number one goal is to minimize my intrusion because in the South, um, we have very, very long rifle seasons. Unlike mm-hmm. any other state, uh, Tennessee, we have, unfortunately, we have CWD uh, positive counties now, and the only way that they know how to control that is, you know, pretty much deer eradication. I mean, it's, we've got a three month long consecutive rifle season now, and we can earn bonus bucks based on how many, you know, deer we kill. So you can't be doing what your neighbors are doing, and that's hunting a lot. And that gives you an advantage if you say, hey, you know, I'm going to minimize my intrusion. I know a lot of my neighbors are going to be putting full court presses on their properties all the time. That is one distinct value you have over anybody else right then is just minimizing, you know, your intrusion on your property. That's step one before you get into the habitat. And when you, when you start bridging the gap over into the habitat too, and combine with minimized intrusion, it is, it compounds. Uh, And then that's when you start importing, uh, your neighbor's bucks, you really will. You'll start growing them and you will also import that elusive non-resident buck. When he comes over, he's going to see a lot of things that he likes uh, about your habitat and the safety. So absolutely. Yeah. He's going to be like, dang, I need a break. I need to get out of here. Too many hunters. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and, and that's a great point, man. And it's not always easy to do. I mean, you know, we only get to hunt, you know, we work, work five days a week and, and can hunt maybe well, two. I work I five days a week. You kind of, you're here about three. Well, I don't know. First of all, I don't know who set up the five and two thing. All right. I need to talk with them. It needs to be a better balance on that. But I mean, sometimes, you know, it's, it's very easy to go in there and, oh man, the winds it's close enough. You know what I mean? I'll scent up right. and I'll, mm-hmm. I'll put on my, you know, my ozone and I'll be all right. But uh, that's not always the right answer. Right. And, no. you know, but you're talking too. like, that's one of the things, like, a lot of time, my place, Lee, is about three and a half hours from my house. And a lot of people say, man, I, I bet you wish you were closer. And I kind of say, you know, to be honest with you, I kind of like that, a break. that far nice away break. because I don't just go out there every single day. Like mm-hmm. if I was, if I, if it was in my backyard, I'd be out there constantly and I'm not able to hunt every weekend even. So I feel like the giving it that break, a lot of times it's, it's two weeks between hunts and whereas my neighbors around me are constantly hunting, you know, and, and sure. they're, pu- they're pushing deer. I mean, we're just always seeing good movement a lot of throughout the season. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It doesn't really matter what the pressure is doing around me because they're finding that vacuum of, man, I go over here and nothing bad happens. I don't, I don't feel that pressure. Yeah. Right. I, I don't, I don't feel it. And they feel it. They don't, you know, you leave scent. I don't care what product you use you're going to leave scent Mm -hmm. when you go into that stand and that buck when he crosses that scent he doesn't know if you're there now or you're there yesterday he just knows that you were there and he's bugging out of there and he feels that pressure so usually when you go to your farm that first time that first time you probably have some pretty exciting sits um Mm -hmm. and it's it's just true man that that's the number one thing 
and you said you had a property that's, that's about 220 acres. That's a that's a above average track for what we manage. You know, most of them are 60 to, to around 200 acres. You know, we've we've managed a lot of you know thousand plus acre properties, and those you have a lot of flexibility, right? Right. Usually, you have a lot of diversity in those tracks. Um, where you a lot of times those larger tracks, even a 220 acre pro- property, if it has the right DNA, you may have those summer ranges. You may have some of those winter ranges. You know that you can take advantage of you know pre-rut, peak, and post type opportunity zones. And that's what we try to train our clients on. Whenever you do go in, whenever that time is right for you to move in, what is that deer doing? Where is he going to be with the DNA of your property? Some people only have a summer range. You know, these smaller mm-hmm. properties, some of them may only have a really good travel corridor that may be a peak rut opportunity. Or some people may have this wonderful you know, destination food plot that, you know, just has every deer known to man late season because they're trying to regroup and, and, you know, re-energize with that food source. So you don't, every property is different, but how you approach it is based on what your DNA allows and you can create certain things, but you know, what a deer seeks in the summer and what he seeks in the winter is two different things. And it's hard to, if you have a 60 acre parcel, it's really hard to have all of those attributes on that parcel, you know? So it's interesting to hear you talk about the summer and the winter ranges. Cause this is something I, I observed on game cameras, uh, last couple of years. I mean, it's what I have tried to do on my property is leave my food plots alone during bow season, even though it's real tempting to go out there and hunt on them because they're out there, they're deer out there every single day. I got a pretty good feel for, for where they're coming in. But as you mentioned, we've got a long season. I've got a lot of folks that I'm trying to get out in the woods and I want them to have good opportunities. And also I just feel like in the, uh, in, in bow season, uh, there's just a lot of times it's just not a real good wind. You know, you got these light and variable winds and I know if I go in there, the deer are coming in there, but I'm not real confident that I'm not going to get busted, you know, on that Mm -hmm. first, on that hunt. And I don't want to booger it up for the, you know, for the rest of the year. So one of the interesting observations I've made is that I've had bucks, you know, on camera uh, going into bow season and during the first couple of weeks of bow season, very consistent. They're there all the time, bachelor groups. And then, you know, first or second week of bow season, it's gone. They're gone. They're obviously moving to their winter range, which is not on my property. And then I might catch a few of those bucks coming back through during the chase phase, you know, of the rut a little bit later on, but they're pretty much gone. So, you know, on, on that pressure side of things in, in an environment like that, where you do think, Oh, look, I'm pretty sure these are summer bucks that I've got. Do you recommend people just, you know, get in there and hunt them and, and try to capitalize while they're there? So absolutely. If, if the situation is right. And for, for your example there, you know, if they are on you predominantly during the summertime, my experience with a summer travel pattern with a mature buck, it's usually the tightest of the year. Um, he's going to bed, he's going to food, and he's going to water repeat. Uh, you'll usually see them in the same field and within the same several hundred yards. If you have the right access to get on that deer, it absolutely go after them. Those summer ranges are, like I said, was some of the most predictable there is. So if you've got good access in and out on a mature deer, and that's you know, you own those summer, you know, bachelor groups, by all means, get in on it and and go for it. Because, 
it can be one of your easier kills of the year. Absolutely. They're going to be there. They're going to be there almost every single day doing that. But with that, like I said, it's an extremely tight range that they're moving. So that creates a, a significant obstacle to get in on them successfully without burial. And that's, that's a fact. So yeah, but if that's that's your opportunity, then yeah, I mean, absolutely go after them. That's where I struggle, Lee, you know, as a deer hunter, period. I have always felt like my best chance at killing a mature whitetail was very early in bow season because they're on mm-hmm. that predictable pattern. If you can find them and figure out where they are, then they're not that hard to get to come out in the daylight. The problem is, no. like you said, is what is good access and what's good egress? You know, how am I going to enter? How am I going to get out? Because down here... You know, you got when you've got pine plantations 360 degrees around you. Where is he bedding? I, it's hard to say. It's not like in the Midwest yeah. where you've got the, you know, the corn and the timber, and you got a pretty good feel for what they're doing, or you can even stay back and and view from afar and figure out what they're doing. Sure. And I, I would guess, you know, some of this I, I know as I've been setting up my place, every timber harvest we've done, everything that I've been doing, I've been thinking about, all right, is this going to be create better access for me mm-hmm. to get around the property for hunting purposes? I mean, when I'm, when it's not hunting season, I don't, I don't care. You can drive wherever I want to drive, but yeah. if I want to walk in or I want to use a buggy to get in, you know, I'm trying to set these things up so that uh, I've given myself better access, better ingress and egress. Mm-hmm. So I know that's huge. I've seen it firsthand if you've got the access figured out and you've got the pressure figured out and you're keeping things down, what's that next, you know, best card in your hand in terms of habitat? As far as a summer range specifically? Oh, Joe, just period. I mean, if you're looking at a property and you're saying, look, you want to kill more mature bucks and yep. you're looking for mature buck habitat, we got the pressure figured out, but now we're going to start thinking about things you can do to man- either manipulate the habitat sure. Uh, to hold or attract more mature bucks. And, and the reason I ask specifically summer range is because, you know, it changes significantly what that deer seeks during that summer range, you know, because usually definitely in the South, I mean, it is hot, you know, it is oh, hot yeah. outside. He's in, you know, open canopy forest. That's his air conditioner. He wants shade. You know, he, he doesn't want, you know, a lot of sunlight beaming down on him like he does in the wintertime and thick undergrowth for cover. He doesn't seek that, those things. So his bed is a little bit harder to pinpoint during those summer time frames like you're talking about. And it's not like you can go hinge cut trees and, and design bedding areas for him in the summer because that's not what he wants. You right. know, he wants that open canopy, that air conditioner. He likes, you know, usually they work from a ridge down. It just depends on your DNA. You may be in a flat bottom, but it, they like that, that air conditioner. And then they're going to move to the food and then the water. So, Obviously, intersecting them in that summertime range from their bed to that food and the water. Um, we, we are big believers in water holes, but I really like water holes in that, that peak rut phase. And I don't want to skip through my favorite time to kill a mature buck, which is not peak rut. Most people miss, you know, they misperceive what the peak what really is with what they're seeing. Um, a lot of times that's a post rut is what they're seeing, um, but we'll get to that in a minute. I really like killing mature deer um in that pre-rut stage i I really love that um i know your property is more you know summertime you've got the bachelor groups and they move off you wherever they are if they're if you can find a fringe if you can find those you know communal scrapes i love finding those communal scrapes where you have you know 10 20 30 bucks hitting you have a bunch of does hitting it 
And you'll, you'll notice this, like it's, it's mostly done at night, but there's an energy building in that pre-rut stage. It's, it's all real benign at first. You'll see the bucks come in and work it. They'll, you know, start their licking branches. And then there's an energy building. And right uh, for us, it's that last week of October, that first week in November, there's an energy building. You're going to start seeing those bucks. They start, you know, they're, they're breathing hard. They're getting more aggressive with their licking branches. It's about to be a breakout. You know, that first receptive doe is about, she, she's, she's there. She's close. And then all of a sudden he will daylight. He will daylight close to that area almost always. Uh, and that's your opportune time. When you start seeing that energy building, that's when you go in and you want to be in those areas. That is my favorite time to kill a mature buck. And I, there is a close second to that as well. And that is that, that post rut. We'll get to that in a little bit, but that is my favorite phase. I don't like the summertime because I, just me personally, I don't, I don't have it on my property, mm. but if I did have the, the, the setup where I could access those summertime travel patterns, I love that because they're daylighting all the time. I just don't have it on my property, but Hands down, that pre-rut is when it's building and that energy is building, that's when you want to be there 100% without a doubt. Gotcha. So, you know, you're you're looking for those communal scrapes, as you said, to be an area that's going to be a focal point for a mature box on your sure. property. You know, you mentioned not having that summer range uh, opportunity on your place. Mm -hmm. If you don't currently have this communal scrape, kind of area on your property. Is that something that you can create through habitat improvements? Yes, you can. So what we start with is obviously the access. We look at access on everybody's property, but then we say, okay, you know, I'm not sure the, the, you know, your food diversity, what you can with your food plots, what your availability of, of fields are, but food does compete for food a hundred percent. They're going to bed close to food. So Obviously, food is where we go next. Uh, once we get access defined, we'll put the does where we want the does to be. And when a buck moves out of his summer range, he is seeking a doe. He's seeking, he's moving to his breeding grounds, which equals does. He's searching for does. So if you don't have does on there, you probably don't have a primary food source. Um, so you need to look to either, I'm not sure... If you're predominantly, you know, just vast timber tracks, you know, I know you said there's a lot of pines. I would look to strategically put food on that place, whether it's, you know, uh, a timber harvest in a certain area. Um, absolutely. You can change that. And obviously with 220 acres that you're going to have opportunity there if you have the rights to change that. Now, some people, you know, lease their properties and they don't have that type of, you know, uh, permission you own the property obviously you know sky's the limit on what you can do but it's very strategic on where you want that food and that's all tied into that access access then food does and then we put our bucks where we want them so that's kind of the formula on the habitat just how you lay it out if that makes any sense <laughs> it definitely makes sense and i'm kind of honestly walking through about the last probably about 12 months uh, on my place. Uh, Joe, you came up to our place this year. We cut a lot of timber. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm just kind of walking back through my hunting season. I shot that real nice nine point in early bow season last year on opening day. Mm -hmm. They were bachelored up and I was seeing three or four really nice ones pretty much, pretty much every single day or every other day. And where we cut 
where where the deer had been coming through, they just were not coming through anymore. So I think that kind of changed everything. It's kind of interesting to hear you talk about that and just kind of play through my deer season in my head and the way that things, you know, because every year it seems like the same time after that bachelor group breaks up, you're like, man, we don't have any deer. Where'd they go? Things are just changing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's wild whenever you have a timber harvest and it's it's amazing, you know, the just the regenerative growth that explodes that you'll see a massive shift overnight as, I mean, this sounds crazy, but literally as the, you know, the timber harvesters are in there cutting those logs down. You got to think all those treetops are falling that are literally in their face now, you know, and it's just a buffet overnight that they didn't have before. Definitely if it's done in the spring and summertime, which normally it is just because, you know, winter months are wet. Loggers have a hard time getting into your, your properties. Most of your logging is done in those time frames. So literally when I, I had 30 acres cut on my property, uh, very strategic, very, you know, select place that I wanted it done, man, it, I went through there and it was just overnight. Like you're saying, there were deer everywhere and it shifted as a deer named Lefty I killed. He was so tight, man. He was, he's the biggest deer I ever killed in my life, but he was a, he was a resident buck. The best I could see, I, I got him on about a 700 yard radius and he was super tight. But when I cut that timber over there, he, it changed everything about his pattern. He went over there and stayed over mm. there in that, in that, that cut over. And, you know, a lot of people's temptation is like, man, why don't I just cut over, you know, my whole place? And that's, that's obviously, you know, not the right thing to do because definitely if you've got 220 acres, you know, if you've got a larger track, you want to try to, you know, have a, a, a combination of all of the above. I want summer deer. I want summer range deer that need that air conditioning with that closed canopy forest. And then I want, you know, this 30, 40, 50 acres over here strategically that I've select cut that has that regenerative growth that I know, you know, is going to house deer. It's just food everywhere in their face. So it's, you want a little bit of both. You don't want to just go blitz and cut your whole property. If you're managing it for, for wildlife, you want to be in a rotation. Yeah. You want to create that kind of that patchwork, you know, of, yeah, exactly. goes back to, goes back to spreading the pressure out as well. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. So, so I want to take you back to something you said about putting the does where you want them, because again, you know, we're in the South, but in, in most of the whitetails range, people are probably dealing with too many deer in a, in a lot of cases, especially properties that have the ability to manage the way they want tends to sure. create a vacuum, uh, from properties around you. If you're planting good food plots and, you know, thinning timber and doing some clear cuts here and, and strategically burning. you're creating, yeah, burning prescribed fire. You're creating a lot of, of browse that's going to pull deer in from surrounding properties, but what do you mean by that? Putting them, putting does where you want them. Sure. And before you just hit on another note there, that's very important. When you do these practices, when you select timber, you know, cut, you have this cut over, you have, you know, whether you're planting warm season grass or whatever you're doing to improve this habitat, you will have a deer explosion. You're going to import your neighbor's deer and you're also going to have really, really successful fawn rates, you know, and that's going to, that's going to blow up your deer density. And that's not necessarily a good thing. And I, and I want to be very clear on that. You know, we don't want to start making like deer factories. That's not the purpose I have. I struggle, you know, I, we have several properties, um, that I hunt. Some of them, I, I don't have permission to manage habitat at all. And I, I, I kill big deer on those properties still. And it's probably at equal rate, which is, you know, uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Remind me to, to come back to that, but it's a lot easier to kill a mature deer 
in my opinion, in low deer densities mm-hmm. and for a lot of different reasons. I get snorted at all the time. I mean, yeah, <laughs> that's right. The eyes, the noses, they're everywhere, yeah. you know, yeah. with, with large deer densities. But also, I have noticed that the bucks just seem to have, a, they're way more responsive to calling. The rut activity mm. is just, it seems like it's way more intensified in these low deer densities. And, you know, you may only see three or four deer a day, but man, at, at the, the quality of deer you see, how they react to your calling and, and when, and we remind me to come back to that as well, um, because there's certain times to call and how you call as well. If we have time, we'll get into that. But um, absolutely, uh, deer density is a big deal, and you have to manage that. If you start getting into this habitat management side of things, you will have a deer explosion on your property, which is not a positive thing, it, and, unless that's one of your goals. You know, some people just... Not everybody wants to kill a big deer, believe it or not. A lot of our clients, are just, they just want to see a lot of deer. They want to have an opportunity at, you know, a three, four-year-old age class buck and and just have a, a constant, you know, revolution of that. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's pretty easy to do. But anyways, back to your question on you put the does where you want them. Your does are always going to compete for that best food source on the property. And in a non-intrusive environment where you're not, you know, you're not hunting your plots. I never hunt my plots until very, very late season. I just don't go there until very late season, period. Because those does will literally bed just feet, you know, uh, off of those uh, those primary food sources in, in a non-intrusive environment. Now, if you're going to hunt your food plots, you're going to push them back. And they're going to get real leery. The more and more you hunt that plot, that you're going to see them. That first day is going to be awesome. There's going to be deer all in the plot. And then you know, the, the fifth time they're going to be coming in there really, really scared. And you can, you can feel their nerves, you know, as they enter that plot and guess where that big buck's not going to be. He's not Mm going to be there. Um, people don't realize how smart a mature whitetail is and he knows he's being hunted. And I've got an example of this. He knows he's being hunted and what he will do every single time is circle downwind of that plot if it's if it is peak rut or he's searching for that first receptive doe and that you know pre-rut stage and he's he's just searching for him searching for him he's going to be downwind of that plot he doesn't need to see what's on that plot he doesn't need to expose himself in that plot to see a receptive doe he can smell her he can smell her for 100 yards away so why does he need to expose himself he never will uh, and that's one of the biggest things that I see my clients, they want to hunt those food plots. It, that's pretty, you see a lot of deer, but you won't kill your mature deer there. In the, it's very hard in the South with three month consecutive rifle seasons. I'm just telling you real quick story on that. I learned that from our, uh, we had a hunt club. My uncle had a hunt club and it was bordered a high fence. This guy had a thousand acre high fence property. And he would call us over there every single year because they had to do very, very strict doe management. You know, um, it was about, it was over a thousand acres high fence and we'd get in there and they kill over a hundred does a year. And, wow. and they'd say, Hey, we need, you know, as many does as you can shoot, let's shoot them. And I'd sit there and man, you would not believe the five and six year old age class bucks that were just roaming around just willy nilly broad daylight because you know why? Because they don't ever get shot. Mm, they don't ever right. get shot at. Period. You know what you didn't see come out in the daylight? And you oh. saw come out right at dark? Those. A doe. Because yeah. they're the only thing that gets shot all the time. Hmm. So That's interesting. They know they're being hunted. 
And when I saw that, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, this is, this is the wildest thing. So I, I know for a fact, um, definitely in the South, you can't, like you said, you can't compare Tennessee to Iowa or anywhere else. The game laws are different and the deer respond to three month, two month, you know, month long consecutive rifle seasons. They just, mm-hmm. they're, they act different. I've hunted deer all across the country, Southern deer, definitely in Tennessee, definitely in these Southern States, they act different. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's yeah, funny to, to hear you pretty quick. Yeah, it's funny to hear you tell that story because I, I experienced something similar to that, you know, on a bow hunt years ago, and it really clued me in to what a mature deer does. And uh, I was getting pictures of a mature buck uh, on camera, pretty regular, coming into a very small food plot, and I had a, mm-hmm. I had set a lock on there early, you know, before season had started, and I had a good feel for where the buck was entering the field based on the wind that day, it looked like, you know, okay, if he comes into the field in that spot and my, where my stand is, I'm going to be in good shape. And so I went and sat there and about the time things were supposed to be getting right. I hear a deer walking, you know, I can obviously hear a deer getting close and that deer was coming into the field. And what he did was he walked all the way down one edge of the field, the edge that I was on, walked all the way, almost, guess it would be almost halfway around the field, scent checking that entire field before he was coming into that spot where I was getting him on camera coming into the field. And when he got downwind of me, of course, the gig was up. And mm-hmm. I saw the deer, it was the deer I had on camera, did not get a shot at the deer. But what that taught me was that they're going to use that wind uh, to their advantage and they're only going to access a food source that they feel comfortable yep. smelling before they you know ever walk out into the open there and you know kind of going back to keeping your does where you want them I, I guess what i'm hearing you say is is that you want those does to be comfortable around those food sources so that when the timing is right for you to hunt them they're going to be there and that's going to be what pulls in that mature whitetail for a hunting op for an opportunity for you to get a shot. Yeah. And there's a lot of things you can do in food plots themselves to encourage, you know, uh, a mature deer to feel safer and walking out, you know, eliminate all your hard edges. Um, they don't like hard edges. They like edge feathering, you know, with the does, obviously hinge cutting right on the plot back in just a little bit. That's where they're going to be. And, you know, give them a little bit of cover. Um, you know, your does are going to be somewhere, you know, in a certain area. And I do, uh, back to your very, I know we're skipping around, one of your very first points, you know, about being, you know, you're working five days a week. It's hard sometimes to have the absolute perfect scenario to, you know, approach your property some days. And it's so true. And I, I do, you know, it is very important to me to find like an observation type stand for my clients. Some properties have quite a few of those where you can access, you know, a certain area in and out a hundred times a year, you know, mm-hmm. and not intrude on your herd at all. You know, some, some people are blessed with that type, you know, property. And I try to find people, those, what I call them just observation stands that, yeah, you're probably not going to kill your target buck there, but you know, you can go there and minimize, you know, intrusion on your herd. You know, this isn't right. You know, that every, the stars aren't aligned for me to approach, you know, that opportunity zone where I know that big buck is probably going to be, but I want to go hunting. And right. So in that plot, if it is a food plot type stand, 
you know, it doesn't have to be a food plot, but I'm really big on screened access. That last hundred yards screen that stand is the best possible. You know, uh, I definitely like observation stands to be a ground blind with strong integrity on the windows and the seal. So uh, there, there are, uh, you know, opportunities for the hunter that just has to go and at less opportune times, if that makes sense. So, yeah, yeah absolutely does. Great places to take the niece and nephew and the, hundred percent son friends yeah right well it's not right yep but you heard my my wife griping at me this year because the way i put our a lot of our uh our box blinds on our place you know they're way off the plots and Mm -hmm. you know she's like why do i have to shoot you know 250 yards out there and i'm like well the reason why you got to shoot so far is because the plot's way out there and you can get in and get out without scaring (laughs) the deer off you know we don't have to deal yeah but it does matter a lot i mean we've we've got our place kind of set up and you do too butch where you know, we can slip into these box blinds, slip Makes out of the these difference. box blinds, and the deer never even know you had, were there. You know, they can be right yeah. out there in the field. But you yep. have to think about that before Definitely. you design a, a food plot. I mean, Butch uh, and I stared at the maps a bunch, you know. I mean, I'm constantly asking him, what do you think if I put this food plot here, you know? And, and we're talking about, you know, access, getting in, getting out. Sure. So, you know, we've been talking about managing your property for, you know, uh, and you're, you're talking about, you're managing it for certain times of the year, you know, and from a hunting perspective is I'm, I'm trying to set it up to be huntable, you know, during these periods where I feel like I'm going to have my best success. That being said, should you be trying to attract a mature buck to your property year round? Or do you just want them there? I mean, obviously you want them there during hunting season, but do you want them there in the summer too? I mean, I personally do, you know, that's, that's the goal. I mean, I want them uh, I mean, that's, that's my goal, right? I, I love hunting mature bucks. I love checkmating a mature buck. And like I said, all three of those seasonal opportunity zones, I, I love that. That's, that's my goal. Um, that's not everybody's goal, but that is definitely mine. So yeah. And you know, the cause and effect of you trying to, uh, manage your property to have a mature buck on it year round or, if you ha- like I said, if you have the, the, the right DNA in your property that you can do that, I mean, why would you not? And I mean, what you'll find out a lot of these practices, you're not only, you know, catering to deer, you know, you're catering to multiple species. Like I'm a huge turkey hunter and a lot of these things overlap, you know, when you're hinge cutting some trees right on the edge, I mean, if you fell a tree out in the, in, on the edge of a food plot, I mean, there's, you know, great nesting habitat for, for your turkeys and, you know, a lot of these, you know, I'm, I'm big on natural browse plots. I'm, I'm big on regeneration through, you know, uh, you know, timber, uh, harvest, like all of that stuff is great for all sorts of wildlife and it's not just deer. And, and that's the addicting part to it. It's yeah, you're managing for big deer, but then you see like this explosion of wildlife everywhere else and all the way to, you know, other game species to you know to predators and that's another thing if we have time i'd like to talk about too because i'm a big trapper i i love you know hunting predators and you know you're talking about different things that can affect mature bucks they don't like human intrusion they don't like predators they don't like social pressure from you know a lot of other does and a lot of other bucks you know when they get more and more mature they they don't like all of those pressures so and there's cause and effects for you know, being a trapper and being a predator hunter, you know, it, uh, you know, coyotes, they have a purpose here. You know, I'm not saying eradicate them, you know, they, they have a purpose. And if you take out all your predators, 
you develop all this habitat, you're going to have a huge, you know, deer population explosion. You know, you're not going to have coyotes eat a lot of raccoons every year. They eat a lot of possums every year. Those are little nest raiders. So everything you do has a cause and effect yeah. that, that I love. And, and it's just an addiction to me. So back to your mature buck session, I'd love it. Yeah. You know, you brought up the pressure. Obviously, I, I think you, you've keyed on, on that's kind of number one for you in terms mm-hmm. of things you can do that are going to negatively impact your habitat. I mean, it, it just is. You can be doing all the best habitat work in the world, but if you're boogering it up every time you go in there to hunt, it's going to impact your hunting. Yep, you, mentioned, you mentioned the predators along with predators. What, what other factors are going to negatively impact your habitat quality? What are people doing wrong? Well, nature is really forgiving, guys. On the habitat thing, you know, like I said, you know, if you have a positive result somewhere with a timber harvest, some people may, like I said, they may just want to blitz their whole property, you know, cut the whole thing. That works so well over here. I want it everywhere. And now right. you just set your property up. You know, you've just got huge bedding areas. You know, there's not, there's no distinct values anywhere. And, you know, you've dispersed travel patterns. Like you want to minimize a mature buck's travel patterns with how you develop your food sources from putting, I'm huge on just putting grains mixed with greens and not having diversity. I don't want soybeans three quarters of a mile over here and then a nice clover plot, you know, way over here because they're going to seek carbohydrates at different times. And when it gets cool, you know, cold front coming in, they're going to go to those carbs. And you don't want that deer to be traveling three quarters of a mile away when you're coming over here to hunt. You know, you want... right. You want your bed, your food to be, you know, you don't want that diversity in every other food plot. You want to keep it the same. You want your grains and greens here. If you have another, you know, plot over here, you want the same grains and greens over there. So you, it's almost like you're saying, you know, like, you know, using myself as an example, if you got 200 acres you're managing, you may have another guy that's got, you know, 50 acres that he's managing. I've got maybe four 50 acre blocks and you're trying mm-hmm. to create an environment for a mature buck where he can have what he needs well balanced in a 50 acre area, so to speak. And <laughs> obviously he's going to range outside of that. Absolutely. But, you know, if you will. can create as much diversity on your property and not have everything like, Oh, here's our, so it sounds like you'd be against something like a, maybe a big destination plot. You'd like what? to have. No, uh, I love destination plots. You know, I like, I like all of the above if your DNA allows you to. Like I said, some people's opportunity zone is only going to be peak rut. Some of mm. them are only going to be post rut because they just have this huge field that, you know, that they've, you know, they don't have access to or permission to do anything, but just put a destination plot in there. And guess what? They're probably going to get that post rut rebound that when they're coming in there, that you're going to have every single deer out on that property or your neighbor's property because that's the last food source in town. Mm-hmm. So there's different opportunity zones through the year that, how you set up your property, you cater to each one of those opportunity zones. So they're going to be doing totally different things in peak rut than they are post. And so it's, I want all of the above. You can't do that. If your DNA only allows you to have this one little plot uh, with some nice hinge cut doe bedding, you know, and you've got a nice little secluded uh, safe buck bed that you've hinge cut on a nice little south facing slope with a little bench on it, you know, he's probably going to go there. You're probably only going to kill a buck. You know, you're probably going to have a narrow window to kill a buck if you have uh, a smaller parcel. And that's just a fact. But knowing when to go in that parcel 
uh, just because it is small, just because it is, you know, you don't, you lack all the other diversity. It's that's even more important that you have that plan and strategy, very pointed and very intentional, or you're going to go in there at the wrong time. And there's not going to be a deer there. You know right. what I'm saying? He's not going to be there post rut. Yeah. Well, and you burn, you burn up your area, putting yeah. your scent in there and putting your pressure on it before it yep. was really right to be there. And, you know, I, I understand exactly what you're saying. You got to look at each property. Uh, and look at its unique attributes and decide like, is this a year round hunting property or is this maybe a rut hunting property or is this an early season property? Yeah. Maximize that. And, yep. um, you know, if you've, I know several people that just hunt little 10 to 20 acre parcels here and there in places. And they just know like, look, you know, (laughs) this part of the season, I'm going to be right there because there's going to be a deer pushing through that area. And then the rest of the year leaves it alone. Yeah. And, uh, Butch, you know, we've, we've talked about just pretty much leaving our properties alone for the month of December. And it's amazing when you do that, uh, and you come back, you know, again, down here, we're dealing with January, a lot of January rutting dates and whatnot. But, you know, when you come back after giving your property a break for three weeks or four weeks during the middle of the hunt season, man, it's like, it's like a brand new season. It's unreal. So speaking of that, I mean, when you think about taking a property, and just saying, look, let's go duck hunt and let's go, let's go do something else for three or four weeks and leave it alone. Brings me to thinking about sanctuaries. And that's that buzzword you always hear people talking about. Mm-hmm. I have a kind of a different view on sanctuaries than what I've heard a lot of people say. No piece of my property is strictly off limits, period, like a lot of people have uh, on their properties. Like we don't go in there unless we're getting a deer kind of sanctuary. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of, conduct myself differently, but I'm not saying that's right or wrong. It's just what I do. What's your definition of a sanctuary? Do you need one on your property? So I'm going to say absolutely yes. And my definition of a sanctuary, there's parts of my properties and parts of properties that I manage that these are no-go zones. And I stay out there and I, and, you know, I do a lot of, you know, morel mushroom hunting. I do a lot of turkey hunting. I'm not saying a hundred percent of the year, you know, there's, there's, I go shed hunting. There's times that I do intrude on that, that area, but it's, it's right now. It's the last two right. months, you know, post season, right, right. Post season. It's fine because you know, where, where that deer has been staging up in the winter, he's, he's already, they're moving back to their home summer ranges that, mm. you know, they're, they're out of there. It's fine. Um, but the sanctuary is very, very important. And we actually give our clients a sanctuary integrity score, I don't like having a property that does not have 80% or better uh, sanctuary integrity score. It's a big deal to me. We try to get our access, you know, all laid out to where this is not perfect. Like I said, every property is different. But when we're hunting our properties, it's literally impossible to have a perfect scenario to where you're going to walk in and out of your sets every single time and not bump a deer or not bump your target buck. It's just, it's impossible, you know? So, when you do have those mistakes and that deer is, you know, spooks and you intrude on his area, I want him to escape into the core of your property, into that sanctuary, not export him off your property. And most people don't understand. That's where one of the biggest mistakes I see that hunters go into that sanctuary because guess what? That's where all the sign is. All the best sign mm-hmm. on your property are in these sanctuaries because they know they're safe. Like you've got a, just a ton of deer sign in there and every hunter sees that and they're like, Oh my gosh, I got to go in there and hunt that. That's human nature. They want to go into that sanctuary and hunt that because of all of that sign. And guess what? It's 
not a sanctuary anymore and that sign starts significantly diminishing and then you start exporting that buck to somewhere else and most people including myself don't have the luxury of really really large parcels if you go into that sanctuary you're going to export your buck to your neighbor and it's a greater chance that you won't kill the buck and your neighbor will so i am a huge believer in sanctuary i have pieces on every one of my properties that after all of my work is done I try to get done about midsummer, you know, June, July. I'm I'm putting all my cameras out. Then that's kind of my last thing. I, when I get my camera set, all my stand work, everything that I'm doing is right now. My deer season starts right now. Hmm. I've been working for months now on my properties, getting them prepared for next season, so I can start establishing this sanctuary uh, type atmosphere from now till season. So when I show up on the perimeter and I'm not going into this core area and that core may be something totally different. It may be some of my sanctuaries are right on a property line because guess what? I have four neighboring stands literally on that property line. And guess what? That's a poor man's high fence. And mm-hmm. I'm not kidding. It, it truly is. It Like I used to be upset about people hunting property lines and I have grown to learn that it, that is one of the biggest blessings that you can have is somebody right there because I promise you that big buck is not there because they're not hunting it and they're not approaching it the same way that you are. And he knows where they are. I promise you they do. And then sometimes they're just a ridge over the buck and all that deer travel pattern will be just out of view of that stand. It's amazing. So anyways, long, long answer to your question, but I know sanctuaries work that I'm going to send y'all a, a picture of the deer i killed a couple years ago is my personal best and i killed him in a sanctuary you know i saw him he'd go to these three ridges i had some hinge cut you know bedding areas designed for this deer and i think he was around seven years old when i killed him and he would move he was very very tight he was a resident buck i'd catch him coming to food at night and he'd you know he'd check the does and he'd come back to that bed right at daylight you know he by the time he was getting to his bed it was daylight and i hunted him four times when i spiked in to that sanctuary and because I knew where he was going and I killed him on the fourth day. You know how many deer I saw in that sanctuary in those four times? How many? One. Yeah. And it was him. Wow. I I did not see another deer. That was his spot. That was his spot. And that's what a five, six, seven year old buck is going to seek is those really remote areas. No human would ever go there. If if I told you where it was, it, it it's just you would never think a big buck was that close to my house you know what i'm saying it was very close to my house uh but no human goes there it's a thicket that nobody goes in predators probably don't go there very often that's where he wanted to be because he was safe yeah he's a grumpy old man just seeking his uh quiet time (laughs) i can relate to that (laughs) i want to back you up a little bit mr lee you mentioned that 80 percent rule as far as the sanctuary goes Mm mm-hmm kind of walk me through what that means i might have missed it sure this is very unscientific by the way so don't <laughs> that's laugh. okay that's okay but, so one of my favorite properties to hunt is uh behind my house you know i'm very fortunate to build a house on one of my favorite hunting properties and you know with three kids it's just harder and harder to travel a lot and then come back and get big be, be getting home at 10 o'clock but anyways i got three dogs and every time i leave and come back it's like they forget that i've you know it's me and they start barking <laughs> you know, and I'm like, dead gum. But here's what blew my mind. I was like, holy crap. You know, when I was, was walking back, at the time they would start barking blew my mind at how far I was and they could hear me walking mm-hmm. back and didn't know what I was. 
Hmm. And I was like, man, I'm almost 200 yards away from the house and they have picked up on me walking. Mm-hmm. That is amazing. Mm-hmm. So if a dog can hear that, I know a deer can hear that. Right. And I'm, so I am passionate about raking leaves, you know, ra- raking a trail that lasts several hundred yards to my stand. He, exactly. I'm a huge believer in yeah, that. I'm a big trail guy as well. Yep. You got to have trails, guys. You got to have trails. When you're walking up close to a mature, just a, a king of a buck that just, he is a survival expert. It is, it, it makes your hair stand up knowing you're that close to him. And you've got to go in there like a ninja and you've got to prep everything. But anyways, back to that, my little rule there. So every access route, I just assume that a deer is going to easily pick you off at 200 yards to 300 yards of your travel path. Mm-hmm. And this is a really planned out path. This isn't me walking through the forest and leaves. This is a field, uh, very little noise. So, and you, you know, your dog is not going to bark if they smell you. They know what I smell like. Mm-hmm. So they're hearing me and they are barking at me. And, it, and, it, and so every access trail I look at on my customers' parcels and I account for minimum 200 to 300 yards. Depends on what you're walking in. If it's forest and you're walking through leaves, it's going to be substantially bigger. Yeah. Wider, a wider radius than, than 200 yards. I promise you. So now there is, there's probably some, the, the woods are noisy and, you know, a lot of times the further you get, the more they'll probably discount what that is. I mean, if you listen to how noisy woods are, it's, it's pretty, it's a pretty wild place. So I figure 200 yards. So I will calculate that, uh, versus their total volume of, of their parcel and look at where it is and their, their core sanctuary. I want 80% of their property to be in some sort of sanctuary. Oh, wow. So that's what I, that's what I thought I was understanding. So if yeah. you're hunting a thousand acres, you want 800 acres of, of, you know, as much as possible of that to be sanctuary and undisturbed. And once again, the DNA is going to be sure. huge on that. You know, if, it, if, they've got a, if, if they've got a thousand acres of woods, this is just throw that out the window. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. um, that That's not true at all. But most of the properties that I manage, you know, are, like I said, anywhere from that smaller parcel, 50 to 300 acres is, is the range that we usually manage. And it, and it usually holds true because, like I said, the, the fundamentals of how you hunt and approach your property, I haven't really been fooled a lot, you know, from Louisiana to here, their travel patterns, they leave a perfect canvas. They tell you where they are at certain times and when you look at those different opportunity zones uh, and how to approach it on a property, they tell you what they want to do and where they're going to be. So that's where you need to be at certain times. And like a peak rut, man, if, if you say, Lee, you had to eliminate one uh, of these opportunity zones, I would throw away the peak rut. I'll take pre-rut and I'm going to take post over peak any day because one, your buck is probably, if you're targeting a mature animal, he's probably got pick of the litter. He's going to be in lockdown a lot for a lot longer times in that peak rut stage. He's going to be in the thicket. He's going to have his chews of his harem. I've seen it a thousand times. When you call, you're going to have all your one and a half, two and a half year old age groups come to you and he's going to be over there. I've witnessed it on my neighbor's property. I could see that my target buck in a thicket tending does. And when I called it, and this was a hard lesson, he turned and moved the does away from me. He's laughing at you. <laughs> yeah. He's like, why would I want to come fight you? I got the girls, you know? Right. And that was a hard lesson. I killed the deer 
uh, several weeks later. But post-rut is the magical time that everybody confuses with the peak rut because there's fewer and fewer receptive does out there, and that's when your buck gets silly. He's looking for that last receptive doe, and he is he's hunting. He's traveling. He's broad daylight, and that's when you see them slobbering on themselves, and that's when you will really mop up. Like, for us, that's that first week of December. I would not trade that week for anything, and that's a – you can intrude – you can, I mean, literally, I've had them run by me as I'm standing there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, mm-hmm. they're just that silly. They're dumb. They're, yeah. They're that careless. And that is a post rut activity. That is not peak rut. Most people think that's peak rut. It's not. That's the reason they're silly. There's not enough dough. They're, they're running out. Uh, and you will also inherit, you, you may have a buck come from three miles away that you've never seen as well. Mm-hmm. I've um, definitely seen that. Yes. That is, that is a post rut type type activity and i love i love that time frame but to get your target deer always you know you know where he's at pre-rut you can see that energy building that's when i really like to kill a target buck you know peak peak rut is is really hard they get locked down i like it when they break out of that lockdown phase and they start moving out but post rut it's a little bit more risky if you've been targeting a a certain buck on your property he may get on a hot doe and he she may take him way off your property and that's just the the truth about it but you may inherit another one part of it yeah that's part of it we don't own the deer unfortunately so you know you uh you talk about that that time period where it's kind of like look go after them yeah you kind of throw some of the stuff out the the window because i mean (laughs) they're they're acting crazy they're they're being irrational you can't rationalize irrational behavior so yeah that's important to understand when that time frame is and and when you can actually go do that and i I laugh uh, same kind of thing has happened to me several times last few seasons where we have have folks out hunting and it's it's the middle of kind of uh peak of chasing there's just there's kind of bucks everywhere and mm-hmm. bucks we haven't seen just new bucks showing up and one day i had a guy in camp he said well when do you think i ought to go back out there somebody shot a deer that morning i said when do you think i ought to go back out there I was like right now well i mean <laughs> Ten minutes ago. because that buck was in there chasing a doe that was hot like yeah there's a good chance there's gonna be another one show up any any minute that i'd get right back out oh, yeah. there but that being said that's a limited window of time where you can kind of throw caution to the wind and just go hunt. If Extremely. you're talking about going back to sh- to sanctuaries, how do you treat those areas? You gave a good example of like, for example, you're raking these, these uh, access trails so that they're quieter, man. I've got a, my property's about 40% hardwoods. And, and you talk about like when the leaves have just, just dropped, I mean, mm-hmm. you can't walk through there. As, nah, can't go anywhere. I'm sure 200 yards is, is, uh, they're definitely hearing you that far away. Oh, yeah. How else do you treat these areas? Because one of the things that I've been playing around with on my property is uh, on those access, as access trails, as ingress and egress trails going to and from uh, major food sources and so on and so forth. I've been real careful yeah. about where my scent's going while I'm oh. getting to the stand. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Not so much while I'm necessarily in the stand. I'm thinking about it the whole time. What other practices are you thinking about when it comes to sanctuaries to really keep it a sanctuary? Yeah, so obviously we've talked about limiting, you know, your your access in and out of there is 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 crucial. But obviously for a mature buck specifically is what we're talking about, I'm assuming. A mature buck, I like to I, I don't hinge cut big areas, you know, like I do does. You know, it, it may be a, a nice little south facing bench that I only cut one or two, 
you know, and open up you know some sunlight and get unlike y'all, I don't have a lot of pines here. So I real I'll reintroduce a couple, you know, Virginia pines, Norway spruce. I really like those to have some thermal cover. I may plant one or two behind, you know, that that tree I just hinged. You know, I'll I'll make that nice little bed for them. Um, and then I will also influence out of that sanctuary, I will influence a travel pattern, um, a travel route, I should say, to where I want him to go to another, you know, whether it's a, a doe bedding area or a food plot. And I want to be in the middle of that or somewhere where I can intercept him close to that sanctuary. And that's once again, it all depends on the timing. He's not going to be there at peak rut. You know what I'm saying? Pre-rut, he's going to be coming back to that sanctuary to go to bed. Peak rut, Lord knows. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And and same thing with, with, with post. So when you intrude in on that sanctuary, it's very uh, time sensitive. And there's nothing better than your intel, by the way, of, you know, you want to have a, a cellular camera in, a, you know, catching him coming in and out of that, that bedding area that you've made for him. And, um, so the, the travel manipulation is a big deal. And I, and that's another thing I think people glaze over. It, it doesn't take a lot. It takes a chainsaw and literally 30 minutes of your time to create the right bedding for him. And then literally you just got to stay out of there. But then when he gets up out of bed is where you want him to say, I want him programmed. It's like, oh, this is a really nice trail right here. There's a Y up here that I normally take, but somebody saw the big tree across it. So I'm not going to go that way. I've got to go this way. And, oh, it's a really nice carved out, you know, side trail into a hill. And there's a nice water hole over here that I'd like to stop at because I've been chasing does all the time. I'm really thirsty. A buck will seek water over food during the peak rut over anything else. Water is key. So I love water holes. That's a lot of, you know, debate of the CWD purists, like, I'm going to tell you where I met on CWD just real quick, like deer social animals. They lick, licking branches. They do a lot of things in these scrapes. They're very social animals. I don't know how you're going to, as long as there's deer alive, they're going to, you know, spread saliva. They're going to do that. I, I, I don't think a water hole is going to be the detriment with CWD. And that I haven't, knock, knock on wood, I have not had a positive one here and I don't want one. I stopped using minerals. That's actually outlawed now. Uh, we don't, we can't feed which I'm not a big believer in feeding anyways, because you've got to come in to refill oh, a feeder yeah. and, and leave, you know, that's intrusion. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> Big time. We talk about that a lot on here as well. Yeah. Let, let your neighbors feed, you know, they'll go there at night and then they'll come back to your bed where they're safe. So they think. Makes me here. Listen. And you Lee talk about the, uh, you know, giving him that, that easy route, but makes me think about that fence gap. You and I hunted that time during, oh, yeah. during bow season, you know, I mean, is this oh, yeah. deer deer's perfectly K. Ca- I mean, it's a, what, I don't know, three foot barbed three wire foot. fence. Yeah. That's old. Yes. Rickety. They just it's take the old, path of least it's resistance. Probably a hundred years old. You know I mean? The deer yes. could easily hop over it in multiple places, but there's just this one spot where a tree had fallen on it and it's a nice open gap. And the deer would walk down that old fence and then come through the gap. Every time. You know? Dude. Every time. <laughs> old fences, topography, steep topography gets more deer killed than anything else. Immature deer killed. Mm-hmm. If you've got some big gorges, the to- if you own the tops of those, you know, real big cuts, they'll come up and walk around that every single time. 
If you have a cut in the fence, like you're talking about, I, I improve fencing in areas where I don't want them to walk and yeah. cut gaps where I want them to walk. Mm-hmm. That's that travel manipulation. And it's real easy to do. And it works like a charm. I'm telling you. So yeah. absolutely. Well, Lee, you know, I'm sure we could sit here and talk about just about all kinds of different scenarios, because like I mentioned, I'm in the coastal plain, Butch is in the black belt. We got folks listening from all over the country and their terrain is different. I know that everybody's got unique situations, but like you said, the components of mature buck habitat are the same, no matter where you are. You just have to look at a property, kind of figure out. We get to your DNA of your place. Yeah. And, and get a plan together uh, that works for what you're dealing with, uh, the the type of terrain you have. And your goals. Uh, Like I said, I, I, I know we could go on and on and on, and maybe we'll be able to have you back on and uh, you know sure. dis- discuss a different uh, vein of this discussion because it's a big discussion. But if people want to reach out to you guys, uh, whether they're in Tennessee where you are or Alabama where we are, you tell everybody a little bit about like you know just how Whitetail Partners works, who they'd be talking to, and just where they can get more information. Yeah, so we we realize the the importance of a regional expert. You know, I am an expert of the South. I don't want to go to to Michigan or Wisconsin myself and advise them on, you know, I'm not used to that type, you know, weather, you know, weather's a big thing. We don't have 10 inches of snow that we have to deal with. You know, we don't have huge winter kills. Uh, So anyways, we wanted regional experts uh, around the country. I'm kind of the South, uh, Southwest, uh, partner, and then we have partners in in each region uh, that you can get a hold of on our website, whitetailpartners.com, um, and you can scroll through there and find your actual regional um, expert and contact them that way. That is hands down the best way uh, to reach us, and we've got representatives, like I said, from north to south that can handle your needs. So, yeah, that's it's really cool, and like I said, we focus on bridging the just the fundamentals of how to approach your property how to hunt your property with the habitat and that's something very important the, the craze is the habitat right now and the fundamentals of how to hunt come first guys and i'll be 100 percent honest with you i don't want you to go and spend thousands of dollars on habitat and approach it incorrectly you're going to have a really expensive deer desert and that is a fact you know you can do all this habitat management and if you're approaching it wrong, it's not going to work. And that's that's the truth. So you sure. got to have your fundamentals right and then start working on the habitat. And it's just a deadly combo. It really is. Well, that's great yep. advice, Lee. And, and thanks for joining us today, man. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, guys. Thank y'all. Guys, let's take a quick break and hear from this week's sponsors. This segment was brought to you by Mallard Bay Outdoors. Mallardbay.com is the Airbnb-style marketplace for discovering and booking your next guided hunting and fishing adventures. The Mallard Bay platform was built by sportsmen for sportsmen. Their mission is to help expand access to affordable and successful hunting by connecting you with verified outfitters across the United States. You can browse trips and prices by state or species, select the dates you'd like to go, message outfitters, and secure your dates all from one platform, mallardbay.com. Not sure where you want to go yet? Reach out on Instagram or Facebook, and they can help you find your dream hunt. 
and also the Hunter's Mate Lowdown Trail Cam Reviewer. Finally, a trail cam viewer that actually works. Lowdown's high-speed trail cam viewer has flipping fast technology that allows you to view images three times faster on a screen that is 60% bigger than typical 7-inch viewers. Lowdown is a dedicated viewer slash photo manager made for one thing and one thing only. Fast, uncomplicated viewing of your trail cam images and videos. Lowdown makes viewing large numbers of images fast and easy. It allows you to easily delete individuals or groups of selected images. Find out more at lowdownviewer.com. That was fun, Butch. Uh, what was your what was your key takeaway? What did you learn from from Lee? That was a fun show, man. Lee was a wealth of knowledge. I really enjoyed picking his brain on this topic. Definitely the biggest thing that blew my mind was his 80% rule as far as 80% of your acreage or your property being or you know ideally it would be the sanctuary that's a lot it is a lot I've i know been, it's important but i was just i was just blown away by that that number yeah i've never i've never measured it out like like lee's talking about doing but i haven't hunted with you for years at y'all's place like y'all are very particular about entry and exit and and i wouldn't be surprised if y'all hit fit into that 80 percent rule just the way y'all have your place set up during hunting season. Yeah. I know that like on my place, I kind of get to the end of the end of the hunting season, you know, and I'm 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 kind of excited for it to be over in a way because I want to go on to parts of my property that I I've been avoiding all year, you know, and staying out of like, boy, I sure would like to just drive straight there instead of having to do the big all loop all the way around, you know. Um but it makes a huge difference, man. And not just with sanctuary, but but like that's that again, again, that's that buzzword that gets thrown around a lot. But really what I heard Lee say more than anything is habitat's important, but habitat doesn't matter if you're not hunting right properly. If you're not thinking about these things before you do them, if you're not managing your pressure, like that's number one for them. And looking at your property, setting yourself up to be successful from an entry and an exit standpoint, keeping that pressure down. It's a big, big, big deal that not enough people pay attention to. Pressure's huge. I agree. Oh yeah. That makes, I mean, it's, it, it can make or break a place. I've seen it go both ways. I mean, you go start, especially rifle season, you start flinging some lead. I mean, you won't see a deer, you know, if you're killing a few does here, a few does there for doe management, like, like Lee was talking about, I mean, it'll shut a place down for weeks. Yeah. Yeah, it really will. And there's a lot to think about, but I really do like the idea of just looking at that property, its unique attributes. And that's what's cool about somebody like Lee, you know, is he can say, look, I, you know, yeah, I'm in Tennessee. Maybe they've got a, a whitetail partner that that's close to your area, but they're all going to understand the fundamentals of mature buck habitat, not just the and behavior the timber and the grasses and the, you know, the mass crops and all that, it's, it's the pressure and be able to look at that and say, all right, Joe, you're in the coastal plain. Let's look at your property. Let's think about how we get in and get out where we put food plots strategically, but you're in the black belt. Yeah. You might have different flora and fauna around, but the fundamentals are still the same. I really like that message from Lee. Well, that's going to wrap it up for us this week. Appreciate you joining us. We want to make it easy for you to listen. So here's a handy option for you to get the podcast emailed to you each week. Just text the word hunting to 773-770 
4377. Again, just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. You'll join our email list and wherever you are listening to podcasts, go ahead, subscribe, rate, and review. Send us a written review. We'd love to hear from you. If you've got a show topic that you are interested in and like to see us cover, just email us at pros at landhunting.com. That's going to do it for us. Y'all stay safe out there. We'll talk to you next time. This week's Huntland Show is brought to you by Bixie Supply and Baker Metalworks. Bixie Supply and Baker Metalworks are proud to be your metal roofing headquarters for over 40 years. Save time and money by buying from the most reliable manufacturer on the Gulf Coast. They now have eight locations to serve you. Bixie Supply and Baker Metalworks, your metal roofing headquarters, and also Bucks Island Marine. Bucks Island is a full-service facility that sells new and used boats and motors. Visit them at 4500 Highway 77, Southside Alabama, or give them a call at 256-442-2588. And also brought to you by Southern Seed Feed. Do you want to provide better nutrients for your deer? Check out Southern Buck. Your deer will love it. Visit their website at southernseedfeed.com or call 662-726-2638 to find the dealer nearest you. And also, Great Days Outdoors, the South's finest hunting and fishing magazine. Pick up your copy wherever magazines are sold or check them out at greatdaysoutdoors.com.